if you have your Bibles with you, surprise, surprise, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. But we are going to do a little bit of a surprise this evening. We are not going to do verses 1 through 3. Uh, due to some logistic needs, we are going to do some moving around, and I'm going to teach uh, Ephesians 6, 4 this evening. So Justin had stated that he wanted me to teach this passage, and whenever I was like, he said, I really want you to teach Ephesians 6, 4, and I was like, wait, what's Ephesians 6, 4? So of course I looked it up, and it says, or as it reads, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Uh-oh. Why did he want me to teach this passage? but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, that's the one verse we're going to cover this evening. And now you guys may be going, hey, this is awesome. We get to cover one verse, and that is it. You may also be thinking, uh, this has nothing to do with me. I need my parents to pay attention to this and listen. But let's, uh, let me kind of give a little bit of an overview of, and talk about who this passage is for. First of all, um, we know that anybody that's a father, this applies to them. Anybody that's a parent, this applies to them. Anybody that is in the future going to be a father or a mother, there is training and guidance that God is giving to us for his purposes as a believer that we need to be grounded in and we need to be trained in. Um, and then lastly, and this is the last part that we're going to cover this evening, um, we are going to have what is your response as a son or a daughter to this message? What is your response? How are you supposed to respond to this in light of this direction to a parent? Um, so this is uh, a very short, concise, but there's a lot of information in this passage. Um, the preceding three verses, uh, I think Justin is going to teach on Sunday. The preceding three verses deal with children. And it talks, it starts out in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I would have much rather taught that passage, because that's more fun to teach to you that what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to obey. Because what happened as I began to teach, study through this passage, I began to get convicted. The challenging thing for me was the fact that my children are already grown and out of the house. They are gone. And so I looked at different aspects of this, and there are definitely things that uh, I can look at and I can go, hey, I did that right. Or we, Mandy and I did that correctly. But then there are other parts of it that I looked at and I was like, I don't know that I did that correctly. And we're going to talk about that. We're going, to, we're going to talk about some aspects of that. But children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And then it moves into fathers, um, first addressing the children. Then fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So the title of our lesson this evening is A Biblical Directive for Parents. A Biblical Directive for Parents. Really, this passage breaks into two main parts, and that's going to be kind of our main outline, and then we're going to have a lot of different points underneath that. But really, the two main parts are first a negative command, and the second part is a positive command, a negative command and a positive command. So A, the first point this evening, is the negative command. So Paul's first command to parents uh, is negative. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Um, that was in the time frame that Paul was addressing this uh, in the Roman world at that time was a very foreign concept. Um, a father was viewed more as a dictator within a family than as a father that we view a, a, a man or a parent as today. Um, mutual love was not something that was really thought to be held highly. Um, a father's love for his children uh, would have been actually hard to even imagine. He was a dictator. He was a ruler in the family. Um, by Roman law, during that time, a father had virtual uh, 
life and death power over everyone in his family, including the slaves, his wife, and his children. Um, he, could, he could cast any of them out of his house. He could sell any of them into slavery, and he could even have them killed with absolutely no repercussions legally at all. That was the power that a man had in his home um, over his family, over his slaves, his children, anybody that was dependent upon him. In fact, a newborn child, when it was born, was brought in place at the feet of the father. If the father picked it up, it was accepted into the family. If the father did not pick it up and he got up and walked away or he rejected it, um, it was simply disposed of. Um, it would either be, it was like a post-birth abortion. Um, that's how little life was thought of or was controlled by the father in that time. If he didn't want the child, if there was any deformity or anything that he didn't like, if he, like, oh, I wanted a son, I didn't want a daughter, get rid of it. Um, to dis discarded infants in that time would, e one of two things would either happen to them, either uh, they would be taken, uh, they'd be collected and taken uh, that evening or that day, um, and they would either be raised by slaves, by prostitutes, or they would be killed. And generally, they would be drowned. Um, Seneca, who was a Roman statesman at the time that Paul wrote the Ephesians letters, said in his quote, and he quotes, we slaughter a fierce ox, we strangle a mad dog, we plunge a knife into a sick cow, children born weak or deformed, we drown. That was the mindset and the attitude of the culture during that day. So when Paul addresses this to the Christians that are reading this in Ephesians, and he says, and fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. It was a change of heart, mindset, attitude, and action, which is the case for those that become in Christ. There is a change that happens within you that has to, it's a transformation process, Romans 12, 1 and 2, that it's transforming and renewing our minds and changing our minds and changing our hearts. And this was being addressed to the fathers. You know, that type of callousness is chilling to think that a father could reject a child and that would be what would happen to them. Um, today, in our society, children being rejected and abandoned by their parents uh, is the leading cause of children being in foster homes, whether they're abandoned because of drug and alcohol use or abandoned because they didn't want the child or didn't feel that they could support the child or for whatever the reason, it's an abandonment. And it's a devastating abuse that happens to children. So we're going to talk about a couple of terms before we get into our points under the A, negative command. Um, the first one is the term father. Um, I know all the mothers sitting here, actual mothers, are like, whew, I'm off the hook. Edwin, we're looking at you tonight. John, that's why Dale didn't show up tonight. He didn't want to hear this. Um, but that term father... It usually refers to male parents, um, but it was sometimes used of parents in general. Paul had been speaking about both parents in the preceding verses, in the verses prior to this, um, and it seems likely that he would still be referring to both parents, not just to the fathers. Um, that same word that was used for fathers is the same word that was used in Hebrews eleven twenty three 23 to refer to Moses' parents, both of them collectively. So in all likelihood, Paul was addressing this to both parents when he says fathers. Because a father was by far the most dominant figure uh, in the household that day, he was the parent who would most often provoke his children to anger. Um, a, mother, a mother is obviously capable of doing that same thing, um, and she's no more justified in doing it than a father. That word provoke to anger, what does that mean? To provoke to anger suggests a repeated, ongoing pattern of treatment that gradually builds up a deep-seated anger and resentment that boils over in outward hostility. That's what that means. 
Um, now, there's a couple of things I want to share with you this evening. When I say that, and I read that, and I read that definition of to provoke to anger, suggests a repeated ongoing pattern of treatment that gradually builds up a deep-seated anger and resentment that boils over in outward hostility, I actually am grateful that I didn't get a bunch of amens from the youth here. But let me just share with you, this is legitimate, and this is real, and this is something that you will experience at some point to some level as a child you're going to we all have we've all gotten angered by our parents we've all been upset with our parents we've all felt resentment towards our parents now maybe not to the same extent not to the same level but we've had challenges with our parents and if you haven't then that's awesome um tom pennington must be your father <laughs> um that's Right, Katie. Um, that type of treatment is the type of treatment that is being explained here is usually not intended to provoke anger. Okay? As a parent, I can tell you as I stand here today that it was not my intention to cause anger or resentment in my children, nor Mandy's, nor any parent. That's not a driving desire of a parent. Parents, more than anybody else that walks the face of the earth, wants good for you. They want good for you. That's what your parents want. Now, you're sitting here thinking, you don't know my parents, because that's not the case. Every parent wants good for their children. But parents are imperfect sinners. You have to remember that. Parents are imperfect sinners. We make mistakes. We mess up. We don't do things correctly. We do the best we can with what we know in the confines of the situation that we're in. And we try. But parents are being directed to not do this. So how? what are some ways that fathers and mothers can provoke anger in their children. And I want to walk through these because I think it's good to talk about these things, for you to acknowledge and say, hey, yeah, these may be things that are happening, and these are things that I'm experiencing, because we're going to walk through the ways that that can happen, what parents are supposed to do, and then what, how you as a child are to respond to it, how you're supposed to respond. Because that, it doesn't matter where you're at, that's important for every single person to walk out of here and know how to respond to that. So, there's really eight things. This is not all-encompassing, but this covers a lot of the areas and the ways that parents can provoke anger in their children. Number one, overprotection. Overprotection. Well-meaning overprotection is a common cause of resentment in children. Parents who smother their children. I think the term now is helicopter parent, is that right? Where they're just like right there, right there, right there, overprotection. Um, parents that can be over, overly restrict where you can go, what you can do, who you can hang out with, you never trust you to do things on your own. Um, continually question your judgment. This can build a barrier between a father and a mother and their children. Um, children, though, and this is important because some of you are sitting there going, you're talking about my parents right now. Mom, Dad, guess what? You're listening to this lesson tomorrow because you need to know that you're not supposed to do these things to me. But children need careful guidance. Children need careful guidance. They need instruction. They need to be directed. They need, they, children, I know you guys, uh, we've all been, everybody that's older than you has been where you're at. We all thought we knew everything in the world and we're very educated and very wise at your age. And you are very educated and very wise in comparison to a five-year-old. 
but there's tons that you don't know yet. And that's okay. Because, Lord willing, you will get there. And you know what? I am very wise and very educated and very sharp compared to a 30-year-old. But there are people that are way more wise, way more educated, have way more experience than I do. And I would be a fool to not listen to their guidance, listen to their direction, ask them questions, grow, be willing to take feedback and listen. That's part of the instruction that you as a child are supposed to have in your minds. But as a parent, we're going to focus on the parents for just a minute. I I don't want to get off on the response for you, but children need guidance and restrictions. You need restrictions. You can't just eat all candy and sugar all the time. You need to eat some of your greens and your vegetables. That's what starts young, and then that type of thing continues to grow. Um, They need restrictions. Parents need to remember that you as a child or an individual human being in your own right and must learn, must learn to make decisions on your own according to the age that you are. But one of the ways that parents can frustrate their children is by being overprotecting. Growing up, I was one of the kids that I would get on my bike on Saturday morning and I would leave and I would be all throughout the whole town and from one end of the town to the other and I might be five, six miles away from my house. And I would be home and there was no cell phones, no Life 360. My parents didn't know who, where I was and I was gone. And I'd have fun and I'd be at friends' houses and I'd be playing basketball and be doing all kinds of things. And I'd come in at five, six, seven o'clock at night, sometimes later. And that's what I did. And I was 14 years old, 13, 14, 15 years old before I had a car. So I was on a bike. When my son Davis was my age, and he was going to walk up the street, I'd be like, oh, whoa, 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 wait, wait, what are you doing? What are you doing? Wait, uh, are you, you know, like, I was, I struggled with being overprotective with my kids. Why? Because I loved them so much, and I wanted to protect them. But I could cause frustration in my children Not because I hated my children, not because I wanted to be mean to my children, not because I wanted to get back at my children for something. It was because I loved them so much and I wanted to protect them. But as a father, I've got to step back and go, okay, I need to let him grow. I got to let faith grow. I wish I would have thought these things through more. And Mandy was great. She would help me. She's like, hey, remember you used to go and it's okay for them to cross the street and not get all freaked out. Um, But overprotection. Number two, favoritism. Favoritism. Another, this is another common cause of provoking children to anger is favoritism. An example of that is Isaac favored Esau over Jacob and Rebekah preferred Jacob over Esau. We saw the repercussions of that, of favoritism within the family and the, to this day, We're experiencing the repercussions of that in our world, of what happened there. For parents to compare their children with each other, especially especially in the children's presence, can be devastating to the child, um, especially if it's because one is less talented or favored or their looks or something like that. Those types of things are horrible. They cannot be done. They should not be done by parents. Favoritism by parents generally leads to favoritism amongst the children to where now the kids are favoring one over another or tr- and then in turn begin to treat them less because they're less favored. But favoritism. Number three, uh, parents being achievement-driven. Achievement-driven. And I, I, I just used that term because I didn't really know exactly how to state it, but parents can provoke their children to anger by pushing achievement beyond reasonable bounds. Beyond reasonable bounds. A child can be so pressured to achieve that they're virtually destroyed. I've had friends, 
Uh, I never felt this from my parents, but I had friends that felt this way, that they just, their parents just pressured them so much in regards to their grades or towards their physical, you know, their sports ability or, you know, their uh, piano skills and things like that, that they just were so overwhelmingly pressured to for, towards achievement. Um, a child can be so pressured that it destroys him. He, can, he or she quickly learns that nothing he does is sufficient to please a parent. I'm not asking for a raise of hands, but in your minds, think, have you ever felt, I can't please my parents? I can't please them. It doesn't matter what I do. They're not happy. That's something that as a parent, parents, fathers, and mothers have got to be careful to not do that. We're going to address, we're going to drop back and address how you're to respond if you feel that way. And if you feel that way, that's a legitimate feeling that needs to be addressed and it needs to be taken care of. But that, was, that is another area that fathers and mothers can provoke anger in their children. So being achievement driven. Number four is discouragement. Discouragement. A child who is never complimented or encouraged by his parents is going to face a lot of challenges and in the area of building up resentment. If he or she is always told what is wrong with him uh, or her and never what is right, you will never lose hope. Uh, he or she will lose hope and become convinced that they are incapable of doing anything correctly. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Um, I know uh, that one thing that I have personally dealt with is I would get down because I felt like, have you ever said this or thought this before? Man, I did nine things right and I did one thing wrong. And all my parents want to do is talk about that one thing wrong. Have you ever felt that way? Anybody in here other than me? Yeah, I mean... I felt that way growing up. I would do nine things right and then one thing wrong, and boy, all we're going to do is talk about that one thing. Um, and they wouldn't say anything about the nine things right that I did in my mind. But understand, and I'm going to take a side note for just a second, as I look back on that as a parent now, okay, uh, we as parents do need to be mindful of praising what you want to see more of. If you see a child do something that's positive, praise that. Hey, I really appreciate you picking up your room. Thank you for doing that. That's outstanding. Good job. Different things like that to give that encouragement. But understand that it is a parent's responsibility to train you. And if you've ever taken a test in your life and gotten something less than a perfect score, you've gotten a sheet of paper back and it will say up here 90 or 80, right? And circled and you'll have two, one or two red marks. Apparently smart kids, that's what happens to them. They get only one or two red marks. But have you ever gotten a paper like that where you, you got an 80 or a 90? Okay. How dare they point out what you did wrong? As a child, that's what I felt like I was doing to my parents. Hey, you've learned all these other nine things. You're doing great. But I want to train you. I want to teach you. So I'm going to point out the thing that you got wrong. Why? So that you can correct it and get better, right? Understand, generally speaking, that is a parent's motivation. That's what they want to do. They want you to be, get 100. They want to train you to be knowledgeable about all these things. And they're going to talk to you about the thing that, hey, you're not right here. So I want to address that. Don't allow yourself to get so worked up about that one thing that's wrong and not the nine things that are right. If they are doing that, there's a way to address that. And we're going to talk about that at the end. 
There's five points at the end that I want you guys to all write down because I think they're very applicable and very helpful for you if you're in this situation. But that can be the case of something that you're dealing with, discouragement, not being given words of encouragement, um, always being told what you did wrong and not what you did right. At least that's your perception and that's your perspective, and that's legitimate. We need to deal with that. Number five is selfishness. Selfishness by parents. Um, it's parents failing to sacrifice for their children and to making them feel unwanted. Um, people that have a mindset of children are not important. Adults are important. Children are not important. Um, what it is is it's parents being self-centered. And now parents in here, if you've got little ones, like for example, Heidi would probably say right now, hey, uh, I need to be a little self-centered because I got all these kids running around. And Daniel's like, hey, me too. I want to be self-centered. I would like to be self-centered too. And Heidi's like, no, you're one of the kids, Daniel, that I'm having to deal with. No, I'm kidding. No. That, so as parents, there's a lot of work and a lot of effort that goes into being a parent, okay? But being self-centered and not making the child feel that they are important or making them feel that they're an intrusion, um, that they are always in the way and they interfere with plans and happiness of the parent and the parents will promote a resentful attitude towards the parents. Um, those type of children, to those types of children, the parents themselves will eventually become unwanted and an intrusion on the children's plans and happiness. It's important for parents to remember we are to self-sacrifice for our children, and that's what we're supposed to do, to not be selfish. Number six, not letting kids be kids. Um, not letting kids be kids. Children, uh, it's, it, what that is is that's parents being impatient with their children. Uh, children, uh, chiding children, or getting on to children for act, always acting childish, even when, they, when, they, uh, when what they do is perfectly normal and harmless. That can cause frustration for a child. Why are you in the middle of the living room playing with your blocks? I, I mean, I'm four years old. What do you want from me? <laughs> like, this is what I do. Why are you getting on to me for being a child? But that type of thing can happen with children. Um, it does not contribute to a child's maturity or help them confirm uh, or confirm them in their childness. Like, be a child. Let them be a child. Um, it's being quick to anger at being inconvenienced as an adult. You're inconveniencing me, and I'm quick to anger, and I'm getting on to you because you're inconveniencing what I'm wanting to do and how I'm wanting it to be. I struggled with this as a father at times, personally. Um, Number seven, using love as a tool. Using love as a tool is another way of angering children. Um, it's using love as a tool of reward or punishment. Granting it when a child is good and withdrawing it when the child is bad. A parent should never do that. A, a parent's love should be unconditional all the time. This, I'm going to love you regardless and not withdrawing it and using it as a reward or a punishment. Um, often that type of practice is unconscious. People aren't, parents aren't realizing that they're doing it, but a child can sense if a parent cares for him less when he is disobedient than when he behaves. A child can sense that. That is not how God loves us or how he, as our father, deals with us. Um, and it's not the way that he intends human parents to deal with their children. Um, God disciplines his children just as much out of love as he blesses them. Um, Hebrews 12, 6 says, those whom the love of the Lord loves, he disciplines. He's showing them genuine love because he's trying to train them and instruct them and draw them back to himself. 
Because it is so easy to punish out of anger and resentment, parents should take special care to let their children know that they love them when discipline is given. I can say this. Um, I grew up in a household where uh, giving out licks was not frowned upon at all. Let's put it that way. Um, that was the immediate mode of lining you out if you got out of line. I can tell you this, my dad, I mean, I'm 5'9". Uh, my dad is 6'4", was about 225. Uh, I, I take more after my mom. She's 5'3". Um, so I got the shorter side. Uh, but my dad, he could, he could swing a belt now, I'm telling you, or a paddle. We grew up building schools all over the state of Texas. Um, so he would get to be friends with the principals, and they'd be like, hey, you know, da, 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 hey, I got all these extra paddles. You want one? My dad had a collection of paddles from principals and coaches all throughout the state of Texas that were in the corner of our garage. And dad would say, go pick a paddle. Boy, that was a fun time. You'd go out there, and you'd be like, oh, man. Hey, and I'm going to tell you what, just if you ever get put in that position, just a side note of instruction and wisdom, don't pick the smallest paddle. Pick the biggest paddle. They have way more wind resistance. <laughs> the small ones, they have no wind resistance. They cut through the wind so quick, and they hurt way more. And the disbursement of pain is way better on a big paddle than a real little one. So there's a little instruction for you if you ever get licks. Uh, but one thing that I can say of all the times that I got licks for fighting and disobedience and bad attitude and all the different things, not one time ever did my dad discipline me in anger. My dad would say, son, we told you that there was no fighting in the house, right? Yes, sir. And what did you do? Oh, Clay and I were fighting in the house. Okay, well, I, what did I say was going to happen? We were going to get licks. Okay, so you put me in a position where I have to give you licks. I'm going to give you three licks because this is what you did. This is the consequence of your actions. And he'd say, I love you, but this is for your own good. And this is what the, you've got to take the consequences. So I, my dad never did that in anger, gratefully. If your parent disciplines in anger, if they do that, that is something that, as a parent, we are not to do. We are not to discipline in anger. Um, the last one, let's say using love as a tool, last, number eight, and it ties into what I just shared. Number eight is physical and verbal abuse. Physical and verbal abuse. This is... Uh, so hard to even talk about. Um, gratefully, I've never had to personally experience that, even though I did get licks from my dad. I was always in love. Hey, consequences of actions. You did this. This is what's going to happen. Um, I'm in the construction industry, and I have had the opportunity to be involved and around two organizations, um, the Dallas Children's Advocacy Center, we built a building for them in Dallas. And so whenever we did that, we went and did a kind of an introductory of what they do. And uh, I've never been at a open house presentation on a project that I like literally teared up at. Because when you hear the results of abuse, physical and emotional abuse that happens to children, and them having to be removed from a home and put into care because it is so violent it is unbelievable. Um, but that happens, and that legitimately happens, and that is something that is a part of driving a child to anger and to resentment towards a parent. Um, battered children are growing. It's a, it's, a, it's a serious growing tragedy in our society. Um, even Christian parents, fathers especially, sometimes overreact and spank their children much harder than necessary. Proper physical discipline is not a matter of exerting superior authority and strength, but of correcting in love and reasonableness. Children are also abused verbally. 
that's something that can happen. Um, it can happen between spouses. It can happen between parents and children. A parent can easily overpower a child with words as physical force. Um, we generally know more words and know how to put the words together quicker than a child does and can out-talk, if you will. Now, I have met some kids that definitely out-talk their parents, um, but they needed licks. So I don't, I don't know there's a balance there. Um, putting down uh, a child down with superior arguments or, or sarcasm can inflict serious harm and provokes him to anger and resentment. Just because a parent is smarter than a child or knows more than a child doesn't mean they need to put a child down or show that type of verbal abuse. Um, it is amazing that we sometimes say things to our children that we would not think of saying any, to anyone else for fear of ruining our reputation or getting punched in the mouth. But parents will talk to their children in a demeaning, arrogant way. Um, so I wanted to walk through some real life application of what that looks like because and that, again, this is not all-encompassing. There may be things that you go, hey, you didn't bring this up. If there's other things, there's other things. But those are a lot of things and ways that parents can frustrate and provoke their children to anger. We are commanded as parents, and you, if you are going to be a parent, are commanded to not do that. So that was A, the negative command. B is the positive command. What are we to do as parents? The positive command to parents is for them to bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Discipline, what does that mean? It comes from the word paeus or child and it refers to the systematic training of children. It is a systematic, thought-out process of training a child. It includes the idea of correcting from wrongdoing. Guess what? children are going to make mistakes. They don't know how to do everything. A one-year-old is going to make mistakes. An 18-year-old is going to make mistakes. You know what? A 39-year-old is going to make mistakes. A 59-year-old person is going to make mistakes. But when you still live at home under the direction of your parents, they are called by God to give you direction, to give you instruction, to train you. That's what their responsibility before the Lord is. They are to correct wrongdoing, which, also, which includes wrong actions, wrong attitudes, wrong motives. They're to address all these things. Proverbs 13, 24, probably y'all's favorite verse in the Bible, says, He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. That word discipline means to train. They train them diligently. We tend to think about discipline as just corporal punishment, getting licks or something like that. But that's, or, you know, getting your Xbox taken away or whatever parents do for, I know that worked with Davis at times, taking away his Xbox. Man, you could make that kid do any type of dog tricks you wanted if you did, took away his Xbox. Man, he was like, whoa, 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 what do you need me to do? What do you need me to do? Um, and Faith, it was not to let her hang out with her friends. And then we were like set. We could get what we wanted normally, aside from cleaning her room. Um, but anyways, uh, this isn't a soapbox time for about my children. Um, in the several uses of that term in Hebrews 12, 5 through 11, the translators of the authorized version referred to it as chastening chastening, disciplining. We're to be disciplining and chastening and training our children. Discipline had to do with the overall training, training of a child. That is the responsibility of a parent. If you are a parent, it is your responsibility to train your child. If you are a child, it is your parent's responsibility to train you. That is what we are called to do. Um, that word instruction is literally a putting in mind, and it also includes the connotation of correction. We are to train and instruct our child and, uh, and teach them how to think, how to act, how to respond. Teaching and training a child is our responsibility. It does not have to do 
uh, have as much to do with factual information as with teaching and training right attitudes and principles of behavior. That's what we're called to do. Um, the key to right discipline and instruction of children is it being of the Lord. Of the Lord. Not teaching and training the way I was taught and trained. Not teaching and training because this is what I think or this is what I know or this is what I read in a book that I bought at the store. It is teaching and training, instructing in the Lord, of the Lord. In other words, having a biblical mindset, having a biblical worldview, having a biblical heart and attitude and action towards others. That's what we're instructed as parents to teach and to train our children. So, we've only got about seven minutes. I'm supposed to be done at eight, right? Um, I want to walk through this very quickly. But this is very, very important. Please, please, please write this down. If you have parents, write this down. How should you respond? Let's say in any of these areas, you sit there and go, yep, my parents are doing that. I'm struggling with that. I am struggling with being angry, and my parents are provoking me to anger. What do you do? How do you respond? I've got five things for you that you can do and should do. And I speak, and I say these things as a believer in Jesus Christ and in his word, and as a father of two kids that are grown and gone now, but I, I want you to know these things because this works. Number one, it starts in your heart. Trust in God's providential control. Trust in God's providential control. Psalm 139 verse 1 says, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you understand my thoughts afar off. You scrutinize my path and my lying down. You uh, and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Just in those first three verses, God says, I know everything that is going on in your life. God knows every word, thought, deed, action, attitude, motive of your parents that they have ever had. And God knows the exact same thing about you. If you are struggling, the very first thing that you are to do is to step back, check your heart, and trust in God's providential control. He has placed you in that family with those parents for a purpose and for his ultimate plan and for his ultimate glory. That's what he's done. Uh, I'm just going to give you the verses if you want to read them. Romans 8, 28. Read that verse. Roman, uh, Proverbs 21, 1. Read that verse. Matthew 6, verses 26 through 34, the whole book of James, but James chapter 1. Any trial that you deal with, God is addressing this. This is a trial that God has in your life. He has allowed a trial into your life for a purpose. He's in control of it. He's got it. So number one is trust in God's providential control. Number two, you need to start with prayer. Number two is prayer. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to Justin, Pastor Tom, no, to God. Let him know, pour out your heart to him. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You need to be praying for your own sanctification because God allows these things in our lives to sanctify us. You need to be praying for your parents that they would have wisdom because going back to every parent wants good for their children. But you have to remember your parents are sinners and they're imperfect. 
and they are going to make mistakes. It will happen. But not for a lack of trying or want to or desire to teach and train you. We're trying. Be praying for those things for yourself and praying for your parents. So that's number two. Number three, analyze your own heart, attitude, and actions. Analyze your own heart, attitude, and actions. Ask yourself the question, am I having a Christ-like response to my parents? Am I having a Christ-like response to my parents in the areas that I am disagreeing with them about or that I'm frustrated about? Is my outward and inward attitude correct or does it need to be changed? Is my outward and inward attitude correct or does it need to be changed? Are my actions loving, caring, selfless or are they the opposite of those things? I'm going to give you two verses. Just write them down because you can read them if you... Colossians 3, 1 and 2 and Colossians 3, 8 through 10. So I guess you could just say Colossians 3, 1 through 10. There you go. That'd make it easier. You're like, why? Well, you should have told me that first. I said, I read Colossians twice. Number four. So there's only two more. Number four, believe the best in your parents. Believe the best in your parents. 1 Corinthians 13. Turn there real quick. 1 Corinthians 13 in your Bibles. Everybody knows this is the love chapter. 1 Corinthians 13. Starting in verse 4. We are to show genuine love to other people. And it should start with our parents and our siblings. Verse 4 says, love is patient. Are you being patient with your parents? Love is kind. Are you being kind to your parents? And is not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. does not take into account a wrong suffered. does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But trust me, your parents love you. They want good for you. They desire good for you. But remember, you're dealing with someone that is a sinner and is being redeemed and being sanctified if they are a believer. If they are not a believer, you say, hey, well, my parents are not a believer. You have an awesome opportunity to be a witness and testimony of Jesus Christ to your parent in your responses, in your actions, in your attitudes. So those are the first four things. Number five, last thing. If you are feeling angry, if you are feeling provoked, you have to communicate with your parents. You have to talk to them. Do not let resentment grow. Do not hold on to it and not communicate about it. You have to communicate with them. How do you do that? Three things. Under that, under communicate with your parents, Number one, be humble and respectful. They are still your authority. They are still your parent. You have to be humble and respectful. You can't walk in and go, well, Craig said I'm supposed to talk to you about this, so guess what? You're getting ready to change. No, 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 no. Because I don't want to have another conversation with your parents or Justin come to have a conversation with me because he had to have some, a conversation with somebody. Be humble and respectful. Number two, in communicating with them, ask questions to find out your parents' perspective. Don't go in saying, let me tell you what's going on. Go in asking questions and say, hey, can I, get, can I ask you a question? That's one of the most disarming questions you can ask. Can I ask you a question? You're giving the person the permission to say yes. Then they're willing to open up and hear. Ask, could I get your perspective on something? I'm feeling frustrated about this, but I want to know your perspective. 
because they may have a perspective that changes your perspective. They may have a perspective that changes your attitude and your mindset set and the way you look at this. Ask questions to find out your parents' perspective. And lastly, when you communicate with them, be willing to hear direction, reproof, and to receive training. Don't go in with the attitude of, hey, I'm going to line you out. Go in with the attitude of, I'm willing to hear direction, reproof, being told what I'm doing wrong, and to receive training, given some things that I can work on to get better. Those are the things that we can do as children with our parents in response to things that they do that are causing frustration and provoking us to anger. If any of you have any questions, come and talk to me, talk to your leader, talk to Justin, ask questions because these are legitimate things that you need to work on, that parents need to work on. That we be, why? So that we can have a good, strong relationship. And I can tell you, as a parent, that's what I want with my kids. I want a good, strong relationship. Did I do everything right all the time? Not even close. Did I want to? Yes. Your parents love you, and they want, to, want good for you. Be willing to do these things in response to them. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Father, I thank you that you have given us the awesome responsibility of being parents. That, Father, that is a picture of your relationship to us. And, Father, I pray that you would forgive us for so many times failing of not being a father that is uh, loving and caring and putting you first. Um, that, Father, so many times we fail as parents, but I thank you that you supply all of our needs according to your riches that, Father, you give us all the grace that we need. That, Father, you give us all our wisdom. Father, I pray that you would be with each uh, parent in this room and each child in this room. That you would help us to know how to respond in love with the ultimate goal of glorifying the name of Jesus Christ. And being a witness and a testimony of the truth that we know from your scripture. That, Father, we would be courageous and bold and desire to be sanctified and purified by the washing of your word. Father, I pray that you would bless us as we go out from this place, that any that are struggling and hurting, that you would give them comfort, that you would give them peace from the truth of your word, that you would give them the confidence to move forward in a righteous, holy, loving, humble way towards their parents. We ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.